Hey everybody, this is Jeannie Faulkner and you are listening to Pregnancy, Parenting and Politics, the podcast where we talk about all those topics. I am a nurse. I'm the author of the book Common Sense Pregnancy, the other book, uh, The Complete Illustrated Birthing Companion, and Mom's Side of the Story, which you can pick up over on my website. Um, I'm the mother of many, and I'm a longtime advocate for women, and especially mothers around the world. That's kind of me in a nutshell. Um, I'm recording this episode during a week of historic global protests against police brutality, white supremacy, and authoritarianism that marginalizes and harms people all over the world. I've never seen anything like it. It's like you've taken all of the major civic events that have happened in my lifetime and you crammed them all into the this last week. It's the world's on fire like a tinderbox. It's been months of quarantine and hundreds of thousands of deaths and massive unemployment and people are on fire for a revolution. It's an amazing time to be alive. Um, people are fighting. They're fighting for their rights to breathe, live, raise their families, to live their lives without being penalized, brutalized, and abused. And you know what? I'm here for it. These are basic human rights, and they should be something everyone can simply take for granted. And I make no predictions about what will happen from here. But I will tell you what I pray for. I pray that real change happens in each individual heart, home, family, community, city, state, and country until we change the world. I pray that we make for a new way of living where everyone can live their best lives to their full potential. I pray that we can all access health care, educations, get homes, and have good work, and that all the obstacles that stand in the way of those simple things for so many people, I pray that those obstacles fall away. I pray that this is a real time of social awakening, and once again, I'm here for that. This is history-making stuff, listeners, and I hope you're here for it too. Quite a few years ago, I got to travel to Malaysia for the Women Deliver Conference, and while I was there, I made a friend. Jacqueline and I hit it off, and we stayed in touch. And she was a guest on the podcast back in May of 2016, and we talked about raising boys in America. Now, we've both raised boys, and but her experience has been very different from mine because Jacqueline and her son are black. It's been Oh gosh, four years now since that conversation, and those boys are now men. And Jacqueline and I have emailed and texted a bit recently about what it's like when kids leave home. That's the other end of of uh, parenting. When they graduate, they go off to school, or they go off, go off into the world. And, um, you know, the job of parenting is never actually done, but that's a transition. So when her son went off to college, Jacqueline started traveling for work more, and she went to West Africa, and then COVID happened, and then the protests, and I thought it might be time for another good long chat with Jacqueline to find out what's going on in her life. So that's this week's episode. 
just Jacqueline and me catching up and talking about what it's like to parent adult men. But in addition to that, Jacqueline is isolating in Cote d'Ivoire, where she was working when COVID shut down airports and left her unable to travel home to Alabama. There is so much to talk about, and I want to get right to it. So let's get Jacqueline Sabanda on the line. Jacqueline, it's Jeannie. Hi, Jeannie. Long time, long time. I know. We are so way overdue for a catch-up. How are you? I'm well. I'm well. Um, But just amused by the irony of us having this conversation, (laughs) considering that the last one we had, if I remember correctly, one of the things I shared with you is that my biggest fear Um, about being the mother of a black boy in America um, is that one day his friends will either have to form a human shield or be witnesses to something heinous involving their friends. So it's so strange that um, this is only our second ever podcast conversation and this topic is still a thing. I know. I know. And more of a thing than ever before. More, I mean... I yes. lived in Los Angeles in 1992 with the what's called the Rodney King riots, the LA riots. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, um, you know, now I'm up in Portland, Oregon. You're in Cote d'Ivoire. Abidjan. Yeah. Cote d'Ivoire. And, yeah. Yes, I'm in West Africa. Yeah. You're, you're, we're on the opposite sides of the world. And yet this topic is relevant in both of our lives. In both of our lives. Yeah. But yeah. the first thing for, for listeners who haven't, um, listened back on that May 2016 conversation yet, you got to answer the hard question, just like always. <laughs> Who are you? Who am I? And what Who do you do? I? Who are you and what do you do? I'm Jacqueline Sabanda, and I work in communications, I'm currently consulting in West Africa at the African Development Bank. Um, development has been my career for a while now. I enjoy the opportunity to tell stories that show how communities around the world overcome incredible odds and are trying to build a better future like all of us for our families and especially our children, the generation that I still believe will make the difference in the world where ours have failed. Oh, I agree. I couldn't agree with that more. I am so inspired by what I'm seeing young people do right now. Yeah. You know? Yeah. So you and I have known each other for a number of years now. And we met in Kuala Lumpur via a mutual (laughs) friend. Yes. At Women Women Deliver. At Women Deliver. Yeah. And we hit it off. We took some fabulous photos together. We went purse shopping. Remember that? Drank some cocktails. We did. Way up in the sky. <laughs> way up in the sky. Yeah. And um, got chased around the night market because we were buying purses and they wanted to sell us videos. And I don't know, you had some fabulous comment about, t- you told them, we don't like whiny boys. Go away. <laughs> I'll never forget it. It was so great. Yeah. That sounds like something I would say. Yeah. And we've stayed in touch for work projects and and mm-hmm. gotten to know each other pretty well. And I invited you to take the mic on the podcast today because I feel like 
between COVID-19 and the protests that are taking place all over the world, there are voices way more relevant than mine that need to be talking. So let's talk about your son. Let's talk about your life. What do you want to talk about today? Um, I think what I've, the conclusion I've come to this week is that all of our voices are relevant. I think as a society and as a global community, we can't afford for anyone with a voice to sit this one out. Um, This is not the first time America has been on the brink um, over this specific issue of racial disparity and the relationship that um, law enforcement has with communities of color. And because of technology, because of video, because of the courage of people to document um, situations which also put them in danger, we can't keep coming back to this point. There is no excuse. I'm frustrated because we act surprised every time and we're very quick to become goldfish as soon as the worst of it is over. And we don't seem to want to do the work to make the systemic change that will actually make a difference. We default to being this polite society that doesn't want to mention race, that doesn't want to mention the challenges, which are not unique to the US. It just so happens this is the big, shiny, global presence in the world that somehow captures all the attention, um, partly because they have a good media and strong media and technology is easily accessible and everybody has a mobile. Um, But we can't be surprised. We can't keep being surprised because there's no excuse. We know how this story ends. You know, we don't want a report. We don't want another commission that has made recommendations you know, we want actual change so that people can just live their lives so that I don't have to think extra hard about whether or not my son has made it home. You know, I'm here in West Africa trying to earn a living. We have fees to pay come August because he's going to be a sophomore in college. I shouldn't have to choose between being able to earn a living that helps me help him get an education and wondering about his safety. You know, what kind of choice is that for me to have to make? But, and you've been making this choice your entire life, Where, no, regardless yeah. of whether you were in West Africa or you were in Washington, D.C., or mm-hmm. in Alabama or Atlanta, you know, wherever you've been, mm-hmm. you've it's always, always a consideration. Yeah. 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 Now, I think you and I have talked at length about boys. Raising boys. Mm -hmm. And Mm -hmm. um, boys can just be a magnet for trouble, no matter what Mm -hmm. their skin color Mm -hmm. is. Mm -hmm. But if you've got a big boy and he looks a certain way, he's a magnet. He's a bigger magnet. It's terrifying. It is terrifying because I love that my son is six foot three. Yeah. Um, I won't share his name because I don't have his permission and I want to respect his privacy. Um, but he's six foot three. He is one of the most charismatic people I know. I wish I had his personality, his capacity with people. 
you know, so he's got the greatest social life. Mm. <laughs> he, he makes friends that, you know, just show him different lives and, and, and love him unconditionally as he is, you know? Yeah. And I don't understand a world in which his hide, his charm and his personality would be a liability his sense of his personal space so that if somebody encroaches it um, in any way, like any human being, he might put an arm up and say, hey, you know, he should be free to do that. Mm -hmm. We're all free to protect our personal space. But the reality is that he's not. And I think the hardest thing in the world is to be a teenager with all that energy, with all that hubris and thinking, you know, the world is your oyster because it should be. You're just exploring and discovering it. And I find it so offensive that on top of that, the joy of, you know, becoming a full person in the world, he has to have in the back of his head that his joy or any expression of joy or moving in a way that somebody else decides is offensive or threatening could also be the end of his life. I don't accept that. It's not acceptable to me, Jeannie. No. It doesn't make sense. It doesn't make sense. It doesn't make sense. And yet it is the reality. Reality. Yeah. And we have... I mean, just in our lifetimes, we've seen it and seen it and seen it over and, seen and it, over and nothing ever changes except for that. Now, two things are different. One mm-hmm. is that um, we've got cell phones that videotape it. So the entire world is witness to this. And mm-hmm. the other thing is that we have, um, you know, national leadership who is empowering people to be racist. Yes. And so they're coming out of the woodwork. They've always been there. And now they are showing up. They're not hiding. And they've anymore. got they've got the backing of the highest office. Yep. Yep. In, possibly in the world. Yep. <laughs> you know. It's it, it, shocking. Yeah. Yeah. So you you went to West Africa for work. And mm-hmm. you, you went there while your son was off at college and you thought you were going to be there for a few months and you had a plane ticket to come home when he was going to be home. <laughs> and yeah. then COVID. And then COVID. <laughs> what happened? So I had it all worked out. This was a four-month assignment. I was going to come in. I was now a little bit familiar with Abidjan, which I love. I was hoping to improve my French, you know, working in development, having at least one other language apart from English is not a bad thing. And French is a good one, especially if you work in Africa, because, you know, the Francophone, Anglophone communities are the dominant cultures. Um, business cultures at least and next thing I know I am in my apartment learning to live in isolation (laughs) unlike um, the rest of my team um, I have the luxury of 
living in an apartment by myself. You know, some people are in shared households because their families are there or they have children and spouses and others are just sharing because it makes financial sense. And all of a sudden, this freedom of space that I've enjoyed overlooking a lagoon um, started really to cave in on me. I've never um, been alone in the sense that I'm not seeing anybody at work and I'm not seeing anybody at home. And that's what COVID did in terms of how it changed my life very quickly and very dramatically. Um, I enjoyed being in my apartment by myself because in the daytime I was in meetings, I was having coffees with colleagues and all of a sudden the directive was stay home. You have this afternoon to go and stock up on essentials and then you need to stay home because we don't know what this thing is. We know it's in the air and the best thing you can do for yourself and your community is to stay home. And I wasn't prepared (laughs) for the fact that um, staying home indefinitely by myself (laughs) Yeah. would be actual mental torture. And not because I don't like myself, but I guess uh, it turns out I like human beings. <laughs> yeah. So is is isolation there similar to what it is here, where you can only go out to, you know, exercise once a day and get groceries? Or is it stricter than that? I think initially it was stricter. There was a curfew. Um, so I think it started either at 7 p.m. at its strictest and then changed to 9 p.m. as um, things were getting a little bit clearer. Um, and you had to stay indoors until 5 a.m. And the government had the military on the streets to, to enforce, to make sure that people complied. Mm. Um And so more than the government directives, I think it was the not knowing what this COVID thing is. You know, you can't see it. You just know that it's around. You don't know who has it. So it makes sense to naturally minimize your contact with people. Um, And so... It just it just felt like the world was closing in. Um, and you were already dealing with your first year of what motherhood means when your child goes off to college. Yeah, my empty nest had happened and this opportunity had been my escape from, you know, the misery of learning to live without Earl on a day-to-day. There I said his name. <laughs> um, on a day-to-day. Um, and so, yeah, I just, I wasn't prepared for this compound effect of now that I'm trying to have a life that doesn't on a day-to-day include raising my child, um, the opportunity to improve my French and to get to know people in Abidjan was also yanked. (laughs) you know, just unexpectedly from under my feet. And it felt very, very lonely. And I remember asking myself, if this turns out to be the rest of my life, you know, am I happy? Have I done everything that I wanted to do? You know, and it just just became a little bit 
scary. And what was your Because I didn't feel like I'd... Well, I don't know that I know the answer. Um, the, the one thing that came out of it is that I didn't have any major regrets. I didn't have moments of, whoa, I wish I had done this or that differently. Um, that was a relief and also a surprise because I'm always reaching for something. You know, I'm always doing this or moving yeah. there, or, yeah. you know? Yeah. So I was quite surprised to, to discover that actually if this is it, I'm okay with it. I have like... Uh, <laughs> a trove of incredible memories, both professionally and mostly personally. You know, I have taken the risks that I wanted to take. Um, I have failed at things that I wanted to succeed at, but found a way to come back and to do something else. Um, I've been fearless in terms of my career. I've never been afraid to leave a situation where I felt miserable or undervalued or, or just bored even. Um, I've always somehow known that if I jump, the next opportunity and the solution does appear. Mm. So in that sense, um, after I'd stopped crying for days on end. <laughs> yeah. Which in a hot country was not great because dehydration is a thing. I literally <laughs> could not stop crying for days. I love God. No, not only am I in isolation, but I'm going to dehydrate today. <laughs> I know it was that bad. It was that bad. And I didn't want to bother my brother or my son, you know, because there was nothing they could do. And the, the bigger piece as well it turned out that I had to just surrender, not having the solution and my family not being able to rescue me. Uh, I've always said to my brother, one of the reasons I can take big risks professionally and move to another country, for example, is that in the back of my mind, his stability and knowing that I have my family in Alabama and that I could turn up on a doorstep with mm -hmm. a plastic bag of my goods and somebody will give me a bed and some food, you know? Yeah. That has been what has freed me to, 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 you know, to make some major moves across the globe and also professionally. And so it was stunning to me and incredibly upsetting to me that even with the greatest will in the world, there was nothing I could do personally or that my family could do collectively to get me on a flight from Abidjan to Birmingham, Alabama. Nothing. And that was humbling, you know? That was humbling because we grew up in a society, certainly living in the US, you know, if you've put a bit of money aside or if you've got a credit card and you've kept your, your credit rating decent, in an emergency, you have a backup plan. But I had those credit cards in my wallet. I had a family that would, if I'd asked, you know, $50 from this one, 50 from that one, they would have done the collection to get me on a flight. But that option not, was not available to us. Yeah. And that scared me. I've never been stuck to that degree in any situation. So you were supposed to come home June 1st. 
and that got yeah, canceled. my flight was leaving June first. Um, that was your original ticket home, right? That was my original ticket home. Um, but then with my um, <laughs> with my to heck with this, I'm gonna buy my own ticket home and just duck out. Um, that was booked for the first of April, ironically. So the joke was on me. Yeah, because the first thing to disappear in the Expedia portal with my booking was the flight that would take me from Abidjan to Lomo in Togo, where I would then get on my international flight, yeah. you know, to, to make the rest of the journey. So I should have known that any ticket booked on the 1st of April. Oh my God. was going to end up with the egg on my face and that's exactly you know what happened it's like well I think it's great that the Lomo to I think it was to Paris flight is still on but exactly how am I supposed to get from Abidjan to Lomo mm. <laughs> you know mm. um, and then within a few days of that you know the whole flight you know all three legs were cancelled so, and that's when the lockdown kicked in and flights were grounded. And, yeah. and there's it just really no telling at this point when you might be able to get home. Well, the airport is scheduled to open on the 14th um, of, this of month? June. Of June. Mm-hmm, of June, yeah. Um, but what's not clear yet is when commercial airlines will start operating. So in the meantime, your son is... He got sent home from college, like they all did, right? They did, yeah. He finished in April. He finished his freshman year um, online, yeah. Um, which is perfect for this generation. Oh, they know for how my to generation. Do it. Yeah. yeah, for my generation, his grades actually jumped up <laughs> because he's just happier getting his stuff done online in his own time instead of mm-hmm. figuring out as if the schedule changes daily what time to be in class on any given day. Yeah. So he actually had a strong finish because of the online to some degree. Um, but he's missing his, you know, the social stuff that happens during that freshman year. And, and Yeah, you know, he had most of it, though. Yeah, yeah, he had most of it. Fortunately, he did live in a dorm. He had great roommates. Um, and, yeah, he got lucky. Where he got luckiest... I realize now is actually having his senior year, his senior high school year. My heart really breaks considering how much fun I had going to the, you know, pre-graduation parties last yeah. year in 2019. Yeah. My heart really breaks for the class of 2020 because it is so much fun. And if it was fun for me <laughs> as a parent, I yeah. imagine it's even more fun for them. You yeah. Know? And so. I think that those kinds of rituals, and activities, yes, it, yes. Yeah, it, it puts the, the, you know, the end cap on our yes. parenting children, you know, it underlines yeah. the transition. Yeah. yeah. Like there, yeah. there mama, you did it legally to the yes. letter of the law. You did the job. <laughs> yes, yes. 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 Now you and I both you can know, take a bow. Yeah. You yeah. both and I both know it doesn't end. It never ends. There's no, you're always going to yeah. be his mom but but you know but those are also some of the rituals that make american society so fabulous right yeah is that you celebrate those moments and you do it in style yeah we had weeks and weeks of 
you know, gatherings and parties, and then the cape and gown, and then the lunch after graduate. I mean, we had so much fun. Yeah. Because high school is tough for yeah. those kids because they lose their patience, they lose their interest, they just want to get out, they think they're so grown. <laughs> and so the reward they get is to go to prom, is to have a fabulous party after prom, yeah. is to have a beach week, you know, and yeah. so for a whole class to never have that, you know, it's, it's disappointing, yeah. Yeah, I have a... a a young woman that I've watched grow up and she got to go to Princeton and this was her. Wow. I know. Brilliant, brilliant young woman. And, you know, she did all of the work that you have to do um, to be in that academic level. But this was her graduation year and her graduation consisted of walking through the neighborhood as the neighbors, you know, here in Portland, Oregon, as the neighbors clapped for her. And it was, yeah, it was touching and it was heartfelt, but it wasn't walking the stage at Princeton. Yeah. Um, Yeah. But of course, yeah, leave it to Americans. They Mm -hmm. created, they've created rituals anyways. They did. They did. Um, I liked the, the class of 2020 um, online graduations Mm. that happened, Mm -hmm. um, especially for the high schoolers. Yeah. Um, so your son is with your brother. My son is with my brother who in my culture, there's a different word for an uncle. That's your mother's brother because they hold a special place. So in my Debele language from Zimbabwe, my brother is not just an uncle to my son. He's a malume. They have their own (laughs) special label because Big brothers take care of their sisters, and sometimes that means babysitting six foot three, 19 year olds as well. Which is no small job. Which is no small job. During a pandemic, when you have to finish During school a and pandemic. Stay, stay indoors. Yeah. And your brother yeah. is a frontline physician, isn't he? He is in the medical profession. He's an MD. Um, fortunately, um, his 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 organization you know hasn't been overwhelmed mm-hmm. with covid cases but you know it's a stressful time for all medical professionals he's had a fever occasionally and then had to be sent home until they could confirm that it wasn't covid related um but to be doing that and then being you know a de facto parent on my behalf coming from a medical setting, you know, there must be a level of stress for him because he doesn't clearly want to come home and then infect <laughs> his nephew. Right. <laughs> and then have to tell his sister. Yeah. You don't want to tell your sister that. <laughs> no, not your baby sister. No, 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 yeah. no, no. Because no. you get him. Her baby. Yeah, no. Well, it'll be heartbreaking all around. <laughs> so no he's been a rock star um really solid solid um and i'm very grateful that they've always had a good relationship because the worst thing i can imagine is to be away from your primary parent but stuck with somebody that you really (laughs) that you need but cannot stand but they love each other they're my two favorite people in the whole wide world so I bet that this experience has really matured your son. 
Yeah, he grew up. Yeah, I he bet. He grew up. So when you do get to see him again, you, mm-hmm. you know, he went to college as a 19-year-old boy, and yeah. you're going to come home to a grown-ass man. Yeah, he actually went as an 18-year-old. He turned 19 in March this year. Yeah, so it's even younger. Uh, yeah, 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 yeah. 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 Um, and I guess it became clear when my brother came home and he had cleaned up without being asked. Cleaned the house. <laughs> yep, I think that's where the <laughs> transition a, began. Did he do a good mm-hmm. job? He did such a good job. My brother FaceTimed to let me know. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. <laughs> he wanted to show me that, wow, this is what I came home to. That was really nice. That was really nice. Um, you, you raised a good boy. He's, he's, he's yeah, he's, he's, um, he's, he's a definitely a good kid. He's so emotionally intelligent. Um, and one of my favorite memories of him, which doesn't bode well for me as a mother, but is a really um, important memory for me, is one time I yelled at him about something tidying up, and he very calmly, Jeannie, looked at me and said, Mom, I don't respond to yelling. <laughs> Good job. But I you do. Shrunk. So small. No, I just like had nothing. There was nothing for me to yell with because Aww. I was so embarrassed with myself. They... <laughs> like a bad, the worst parent ever. <laughs> they do teach us, don't they? They do yeah. teach us. I was taught. Yeah. <laughs> without without one remark. <laughs> I was taught. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So he's that guy, you know? Yeah. Just decent human being, kind, funny. Well, I've been listening to you talk to talk about your your boy for about seven or eight <laughs> years now. It's been I, a while, right? I feel like I know him. I'm one of these days I'm gonna, I'm gonna meet you him. You have to meet him. One yeah, you days. have to. Yeah. And you're going to come yeah. to Portland and stay here at our big yes. house. Yes, yes. I want to come and do a workshop. I know, I know. For I listeners, come and refer- she's talking yeah. about my writing workshops where I teach writers mm-hmm. how to write mm-hmm. their books. Yeah. There you go. There you go. I want to come and refine my writing skills and make that the next chapter of my life. Oh, you uh-huh. have a story to write. You have, I a, have story. a story to write. Yeah. <laughs> And the time is getting closer and closer for me to start. Yeah, yeah. Well, we're going to get on that. We're going to get on that. Mm-hmm. Well, mm-hmm. Jacqueline, I'm going to let you. I know it's like, what, midnight? Is it midnight for you? No, it is um, 10.40. Oh, it's midnight as far as I'm concerned. <laughs> You're a night owl and I'm a crack of dawn Londoner, girl. Yeah, so yeah. night for me is yeah. daytime. Yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm the opposite. I'm up before the birds. Yeah. yeah, no, the birds will never see me. <laughs> no way. All right, my friend. Well, I want to know when you're home and safe. And Thank you. Be well. Let's see what Thank happens you. on the other side of this crazy time of ours. Thank you. And love and hugs to you and your beautiful family. Thank oh. you for taking the time to talk. Well, we're going to talk again pretty soon. Definitely, definitely. Mama said there'll be days like this, there'll be days like this, Mama said. Mama said, Mama said, Mama said there'll be.
that's it for this week, folks. Thanks for being here and for listening in as old friends catch up. You can learn more about me at jeanfaulkner.com. That's J-E-A-N-N-E-F-A-U-L-K-N-E-R. You can find us on Instagram and Facebook at Pregnancy, Parenting, and Politics. You can find me on Twitter at Jean Faulkner. Email me, Jean at Jean Faulkner, with questions and comments. And go on over to my website where you can pick up books. You can sign up for workshops. You can uh, learn to write with me. Um, Pregnancy, Parenting, and Politics is produced by Recluse Records. We'll talk again next week, everybody. Bye-bye.